courtesy of Bob the Engineer, Dolly the Receptionist, and yes, your host, your servant, the Jester. Oh, my Lord. We're wired that way. No point in fighting it. Hi, everybody. I'm Archie Bell with the Thrills of Houston, Texas. We don't only sing... Service announcement from Brill Cream. Finally, someone has reinvented the wheel. Hey, uh, you tuned into the ravings of a clown on Just Radio. <laughs> The complete solution for your home PC. Jimmy Pop. Getting a little feedback there from one of the machines. I'll just kick Hello, it really my hard. My name is Jimmy Pop and I'm a dumb white guy. Glug. Say we got rid of it. Good evening, welcome to the ravings of a clown on Jester Radio. The other way? Shanna Flanham, Hannah Man, I'm hung like planet Pluto. Hard to see with the naked eye. If I crashed into Uranus, I won't get it where the sun don't shine. Cause I'm kinda like Han Solo, always stroking my own Wookiee on the You can call me Come on in. you imagine uh, people all gathering around the radio? Yes, very much so, don't you? Hurry, hurry in. The Ravings of a Clown is about to begin. He's taking his first toke of the show. Jimmy's running in the door with a popcorn flying out of the bowl. Is this really a popcorn show? It is if it was the 50s. It's more like a bong show, don't you think? One thing leads to another. Jimmy's running in with the bong. That leads to popcorn. But yes, I do imagine people hurrying to gather around to catch the show. I do recall uh, doing the very same thing when I was a young lad. 
and my favorite DJ came on the radio. I would hurry in the room. Like the Simpsons. One of my brothers. <laughs> Don't! <laughs> and we'd all sit on the couch facing towards the radio. <laughs> Good evening. Welcome to the Ravings of a Clown on Jester Radio this Friday, March the 24th, the year of our Lord 2006. Hanging behind the glass with S. Poe. Good evening, bud. Yep. How's it going, man? It's going good. What you been up to lately? Been floating around the universe looking you've been, for some good radio. You've been writing any uh, movies or wrote a, directing uh, any movies? A, uh, we wrote a reality show tonight. Oh, yeah. Well, let's just keep that one under our belts, huh? Yeah. You don't want to spread that. Now, what is exactly the system with protecting these ideas when people go to pitch... Um, what are they called now? Like a little synopsis of a show. What do they call that? Treatment. Treatment. It's a funny word, huh? People bring these treatments to the studios if they have somebody who they get the ear of. And then, uh, what if I, you know, I could just say I love the idea, but I thought of it myself last week. Right, you're fucked. I'm you got. You probably got to sign something saying. Uh, I'm sure you probably heard this before, but uh, just in case you haven't, here's my version. Right. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard this before. <laughs> so, in other words, something that says, uh, recognizes that the studio may have already heard or something very similar. But if they haven't, they promise to pay them. Yeah, all right. if, especially if it's a good idea and you want to keep this guy under wraps. Right. And, or if this is a good idea and this guy is well-known and well-established. Established. Yeah. But what do I know? I've never done this before. So once you get to a um, uh, somebody's ear and you pitch them a show, then what's the process after that? If they like the show, what do they do? They order up a show? They go, yeah, get green light? All of a sudden you hear the words, cha-ching. <laughs> no, <laughs> but seriously, do, they, the do, they, do you pr then produce the show? Or do they say, we'll take, t we'll take 12? When can we pick them up? Yeah, it all depends on who you're talking to. I see. So, but does the studio ever say, we'll just take it from here, have a nice day, here's your check? I'm pretty sure they could strike that deal with uh, people that are inexperienced. Right. But you get, create, you get created by credit, which is on every episode, which pays you money every time. Created by credit. Oh, that's the best thing to Very get. Very fine credit. You don't have to do a created, stitch of work. You right. just got to say the words. And so Mel Brooks did that with Get Smart. Right? Isn't that true? I don't know if he... Buck Henry was involved with Oh, that that's theory. right. It was Buck Henry, not Mel Brooks. I take it back. It was created by Buck Henry. Right. I'm sure they both wrote episodes. I think Mel Brooks was a writer on the show. They might have been at a cocktail party one night at the Carl Reiner's and hashed out the idea. It all probably happened on Carl Reiner, at, at Carl Reiner's. He was probably the conduit for all that. Yeah. He seems like the perfect middleman for that kind of action, don't you think? Got all his buddies working. And he's very funny and very, very smart, but he's like a nervous wreck. Remember how we used to come on Carson all the time and like all, the, all he ever talked about was how he was like nervous about coming on and couldn't think of anything to do? No, don't remember. Yeah. He did a very funny bit on Carson one time. The great Flydini. No, not that one. <laughs> it was the one where he, he shows what the painting looked like in the attic of Dorian Gray. Oh, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> Watching it age. His face collapses, you know. 
you're listening to the ravings of a clune on Jester Radio. It's Friday the seventh, the f- some twenty. My 24th, father's birthday, perhaps March twenty fourth, the year of our Lord two thousand six. Happy birthday, Jack! Wherever you are, I don't suppose he's much of anywhere anymore. Although you know he uh, lives on in your heart. He was a great, great guy, your old man. Yeah, quite a guy. And uh, he taught me a thing or two, I'll tell you that much. About parenting? Uh, No, about stuff. He was a great guy to hang around. He was very funny and knowledgeable and very generous. But, uh, yeah, about parenting, too, I guess. He was a very successful one. Raised some happy kids? He did. But he was a smart cookie. He was a lot of fun to be around. A little on the dry side, a little on the cynical side. No, he wasn't cynical. He was, uh, he was... Cynical. No, he wasn't cynical at all. He was very cynical. Anything the government told him, he believed. Really? Absolutely. I find that hard to believe. He says the New York Times would correct it if uh, they were lying. Really? Yep. Sucker. <laughs> Why make, he, I mean, yeah, he was a true... Why uh, does anybody ever believe that shit? He just couldn't believe that anyone would be otherwise... In the news this evening, Russia had a military intelligence unit operating in Iraq up through the 2003 U.S. invasion and fall of Baghdad, a Russian analyst said on Friday. Pentagon reports said Russia provided Saddam Hussein with intelligence on U.S. military movements and plans. So there you go. The Ruskies, it turns out, were behind it all. It seems like every time we get into some kind of muck and mire, the other side's got the Ruskies going for them. Two, up to 2003, up to the very day that the United States invaded Iraq and overthrew uh, Saddam Hussein, the Ruskies were advising them on the American positions. So that's your ally there, folks. The unclassified report does not assess the value of the information or provide details beyond citing two captured Iraqi documents saying the Russians collected information from sources, quote, inside the American Central Command. Of course, they were fucking as thick as thieves. They were in like Flynn. Give me a couple more of those. Two uh, peas in a pod. Uh-huh. That battlefield intelligence was provided to Saddam. Like uh, white on Condoleezza rice. That, <laughs> white on rice. Was provided to Saddam through the Russian ambassador in Baghdad. Classified version of the Pentagon report titled Iraqi Perspectives Project is not being made. Are you getting that kind of lazy joke? I got that one, yeah. It's just coming to me. Now, now see if you can... Poe, are you with me on this? Uh, the, are you talking to me? We just got this information that the Russians were advising the Iraqis up until and through the invasion of Iraq on American movements. The Russians were aiding the Iraqis. Were they telling us something different? Yeah, they were telling us they were our fucking allies, you idiot. They were smiling right in our face, stabbing us in the back. I think we have a song for that. Now it turns out that the Ruskies who did this three scant years ago are now coming out with reports saying they did it. In other words, the Ruskies are coming completely forward, stepping forward about this whole thing. Yes, we were complicit. This is where we cooperated. Open book for right or wrong. This is our story. Why? Well, because they're a free society now. 
but it's not a political move for any particular reason? Well, for, forget that for a split second, okay? <laughs> Try and think back to when you didn't think automatically the worst motives that anything anybody ever did. I don't think I had a brain at that time. Think, just think back a few fucking years to that moment when you had an open mind, okay? And just suspend these two facts in your brain, and then when I say juggle, you go, okay? <laughs> Fact one, the Russians were advising the Americans up until and through the invasion of Baghdad. They have just come out with a report revealing the whole thing lock, stock, and barrel stock and bloom. Two, fact number two, the United States wrote a similar report, which was titled Iraqi Perspectives Project, just because they couldn't figure out anything that would be more cryptic and, uh -huh. and not address the fucking subject, okay? And that report is classified and not available to the public. So America, the land of the free, the home of the brave. Is being outfreedomed. By the Ruskies. And let me tell you, man, what this reminds me of. There's a moment in the Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test. This is the Ken Tom Kesey, Wolf. Tom Wolfe masterpiece, written about the merry pranksters and their crusade across America to enlighten the young folks about the um, hallucinogenic. The fun with acid. Fun with acid. And they got it on a little bus, and they ran across America, and they handed out acid to everybody. And there was this one deal where the guy was driving the bus. I don't that, was, uh, that was Dean Moriarty. Who? Neil Cassidy. Neil Cassidy was driving the bus. Is that who it was? Yeah, from on the road. And he pulls up to a gas station, and this attendant comes over, and he smiles at... I guess you're saying it was Neil Cassidy, the driver of the bus. And he's got a beautiful gold tooth, this nigger who's pumping the gas. And you could tell he's gleaming in the sun, this gold tooth. It's the most prideful fucking thing he's ever done. He comes out and he gets to smile at the customers and show off this big, huge gold tooth in the front. Neil Cassidy smiles back at the nigger, and he's got an American flag painted on his front tooth. And the nigger just drops, he just totally droops and just goes completely sullen and stalks away. And he fucking turns around and he says to somebody, man, what's wrong with that black guy? I just fucking was showing him off my tooth too. And the guy goes, dude, don't you realize what you just did? You out-niggered him. <laughs> you totally out-niggered him, man. He was fucking so proud about his fucking gold tooth and you just totally out-niggered him. And I think that's what we got going on here. The Russians have finally out-niggered. I was like yeah. waiting the whole story to get into this whole why are you using the word nigger conversation and then you kind of use it as a punchline. What's wrong with nigger? I don't know. It always seems offensive to me. You know why? Because I was told as a young kid don't say that to the neighbors. That's not why. That's exactly why. It's because you're a nigger. People who aren't niggers don't care about that. Minister's wife. We used to have this listener named Chewy Chitlins. Do you remember this guy? I know the name. And he used to fuck me. When you get pissed off of me, he was like this real, uh, um, real hillbilly, you know, very um, uh, conservative dude. And he used to love to listen and 
send an email fucking cursing me out. upset. Telling me all this shit. And he used to write, you know why you think these stupid thoughts you do? Because you're a Jew. All capital letters, <laughs> J-E-W, exclamation point, like 40 exclamation points. You're a Jew, Jewy Jew, Jew, who just thinks you're Jew thoughts and says you're Jew shit. And I'm thinking to myself, is that supposed to be like a bad thing? Oh, he keeps yeah. calling me Jew. Well, like- by your logic, he's the Jew. <laughs> I don't get it, man. Like, where am I supposed to? You fuck. If he was saying you fucking cocksucker, well, if, if you were his neighbor, you would have known exactly how to feel after that. I guess so. But the point is, is that it's it means such a bad thing. This is the mystery of words. It's like the word cocksucker. It means such a bad thing in his head. He could be saying box mattress spring for all I fucking know. I mean, the yeah, most me- neutral thing. It's just fucking. I'm just to have this neutral response. Right. A minister's wife was charged today with shooting her husband to death in the parsonage in a crime that shocked the congregation and shattered the couple's happy and loving marriage. Mary Winkler, 32, was arrested on murder charges and confessed to the slaying after fleeing to Alabama in the family's minivan. Boy, who would have thought to look for her in that thing? With the couple's three young daughters in tow, Tennessee Bureau of Investigation agent John Mayer said authorities knew the motive for the killing, but he wasn't going to tell. When asked whether police believed the motive was infidelity, Mayor said, where are you from? What's this jest or what? (laughs) But he would not comment about whether Mary Winkler had accused her husband of abuse. So he's alluding to, by not admitting that that's what he knows, that this was because he was an abusive minister. So he went and preached you know, peace and love at the church, and then went home and smacked the old lady around. Don't you love it? Which, in many cases, is really the only way you can get him to pay attention, my experience. Not saying he was wrong. Not saying he was wrong. The chief judge trying an Afghan man who faces a possible death sentence for converting from Islam to Christianity. This is the country, folks. You spent $12, billion liber- uh, $12 trillion liberating Afghanistan. They have a man on trial in Kabul. This is the center of the country. This is like the most metropolitan area of the country. Right. That's the future when you get there. <laughs> the future when you get there. They are trying a man. He's on trial for possibly converting from Islam to Christianity. They're not saying he did it right away because they want to give him a fair trial. They want to be fair about it. And find that if he they're really not does, they're not animals for Christ's sake. They have laws. They have laws. If they find then that he actually converted to Christianity and believes in his heart that Jesus is the Savior, then they'll kill him. Because the penalty is death. International pressure against the case has been building, and the Afghan government may be rethinking the charges against Abdul Rahman. Government official and MSNBC said today that Rahman may be freed within the next few days. That chong spotlight hits them, and they go, what, where? Yes, we were just about to let him go. He could be released soon, the Afghan government official told Just Radio on condition of anonymity, because he wasn't sure who we were. MSNBC citing an Afghan diplomat official. It did not identify said Rahman, who's 41, could be released as soon as Monday. The BBC said the government officials were meeting tomorrow to discuss the case. So they're going to get together and say, how did anybody find out that we were making a trial for going to Christian? <laughs> did you tell him, Abdul? <laughs> and like 70 guy goes, no. It's funny, the Russians really were helping them. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, I mean, you, this is the fucking country that you, that, that your president struts around saying, aren't you glad that I fucking freed them and liberated them? They uh, have, have put together a lovely de- little uh, democracy. The poppy fields are flourishing again. That's only the one, po- that's the one and only positive aspect <laughs> of it. And by the way, that is the ta- how the Taliban came into power. You know, is from the poppy. Before they banned it, they made billions off of it. How many people buying their rocks? Yeah, I mean, they did so much irreparable damage. You know, sometimes through history, you do look back once in a while and you look at a fucking, you know, eighth wonder of the world that was toppled by the fucking enemy and you go, that's a shame. That's too bad we lost that. And there's not too many of examples of that, but I think the World Trade Center is definitely one of those things. And they knocked that fucker down out of the sky. That hurt, man. Everybody in the fucking world was a New Yorker that day. What happened? Something what? They started flying airplanes into the uh, office buildings in Manhattan. Yeah. Bullshit. When did that happen? I, I, you know, I, I, the one thing I remember most about that whole day was the 15 minutes in between the, the plane one and plane two. When everybody was speculating whether it could be. Were you be. speculating? Well, yeah, because I kept turning the dial. And, you know, like everything else, like every other day in my life, when something shit started hitting the fan, I fucking turned on the radio and started going for what was happening. I, you know, there's this sense that radio has it even before TV, you know? Uh-huh. I taped about 10 hours of I remember radio. that. I remember every that. Every station I get my hands on in Pennsylvania. Yeah, there's something about the radio that uh, uh, in an emergency you just fucking go to. And um, anyway, I remember, who do you think I ended up listening to? Of course, I turned to Howard Stern. first to, um, to uh, 880 in New York. Um, I was on the FDR going, I mean, I was on the Triborough Bridge. Uh, just about, I was on the Bruckner, just about getting on the Triborough. And um, I saw the f- and heard the first thing on the radio on Howard. And then, of course, I turned right to 880. You all know, news. All news all the time there. And then I turned over to Winds 1010. More all news, but with a nice sound effect. In More the all news, but a constant typewriter going <laughs> in the background. <laughs> so you know it's the news. <laughs> they just couldn't give up the typewriter. And um, all anybody was talking about was, no, it's probably not. Back in 1939, then right away they started going into the history books. Uh, we had a plane that accidentally hit the uh, uh, Empire State Building. And then... Right. And wasn't it foggy that night? And 11 people died, you know. And then it took them 12 months to rebuild that section. So right away everybody was thinking, okay, they'll, rebu- they'll rebuild the section. World hasn't ended yet. World hasn't ended yet. And then all of a sudden, man, and this was live on the fucking radio. You just heard a piece. I heard people started screaming, oh, holy shit, there's another fucking plane coming. And uh, you just heard the plane hitting the fucking. And I looked up from the Bruckner. You have this amazing view of downtown Manhattan. And I could see this fucking pillar of white smoke going up. You know, it was unbelievable. And that moment when you realize it was 
definitely fucking terrorists. Holy shit. Right, yeah. Your world changes in a split second. Yeah, Everything you believe one second, gone. Next belief. That's a fact, man. Really, really changed everything. Maybe more than any one single moment uh, ever in my life. Mm-hmm. It was fucking unbelievable. Yeah, I live in this world. Nope. Now I live in this world. <laughs> That's right. You tune into the ravings of a clown. Please don't fuck with that. Uh, we've been uh, playing uh, Jimmy Webb the past hour because we're just sick about Jimmy Webb. <laughs> and uh, we do like Jimmy Webb's tunes but we most like the guy himself so we're going to play a little bit more of him you're probably going to recognize this tune but you should check out this version don't fuck with that die you're listening to the ravings of a clown on jester radio coming to you from a secret location outside your universe pieces This time we almost made some sense of it Oh, didn't we, girl? This time I had the answer Right here in my hand and I touched it It had turned to sand This time we Almost sang our song in tune Oh, didn't we, girl This time we made it to the moon Call it me This time we almost made a poem
I was a highwayman Along the coach roads I did ride With a sword and pistol by my side Many a young maid lost her baubles to my trade Many a soldier left his lifeblood on my blade The bastards hung me in the spring of twenty-five But I am still alive I was a sailor I was born upon the tide I did abide I sailed a schooner round the horn To Mexico I will lay off the pearl And make sail in a blow And when the yards broke off They say that I got killed But I am living still Perhaps I always will, I don't know I was a dam builder Across the river deep and wide Where steel and water did collide A place called Boulder on the wild Colorado I slipped and fell to wet concrete below they buried me in that great tomb that knows no sound But I am still around Seems like it all goes round and round Round and round and round Yes it does Oh and here we go Fly a starship across the universe divide. And when I reach the other side, I'll find a place to rest my spirit if I can. Perhaps I may become a highwayman again. Or I may simply be. A single drop of rain But something will remain And I'll be back again I'll be back again Yes, I will And here we go But we'll all be back again Yes, we will oh, And here we go But we'll all be back again The inimitable Jimmy Webb on Jester Radio, Highwayman. Is there a big hiss? 
Bob, Bob will kick the server later. There may be a kind of a whine. I don't think that's getting out. What was that? What were you going to say about the highwayman? There's this uh, great um, tribute by um, Jimmy Webb to the nature of man to sort of set out on the road and go these impossible distances and explore. Imagine we started out as this tiny little clump of uh, mutants in the savannas of Africa, and we just explored mm -hmm. up and north and right. around and all over the world. Yeah, I think you got to start playing that onion first walk on the moon right now. I know. And here he talks about, you know, along the coach roads, I did ride with sword and pistol by my side, and I, he was a sailor. Born upon the tide and with the sea, I did abide. I sailed a schooner round the horn to Mexico. And how we explored, you know, the, the South America. And I was a dam builder, crossed the river deep and wide where steel and water did collide. A place called Boulder on the wild Colorado. And then it ends with, uh, I fly a starship across the universe divide. And when I reach the other side... I'll find a place to rest my spirit if I can. There always seems to be this goal of getting to the end of the road and resting finally will we'll, we'll reach out far enough and will rest. But then he says, perhaps I may become a highwayman again, or I may simply be a single drop of rain, but I will remain and I'll be back again. And it's true because whatever, you know, matter is never destroyed in the universe. And somebody much wiser than me once said that after I die, the molecules in my body will go on to become something else. They may become part of another living thing. They'll be carbon molecules. Whatever gets you through the night. And they may be um, a, 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 a rose or a dog, or they may even become another human being. And in fact, in that way, in that teeny tiny, almost incomprehensible way, you may live forever and come back again and again. You may be a single drop of rain or you may become a highwayman again. It's a hell of a thought. Yeah. I think a lot of stuff. You're listening to the ravings of a clown on Jester Radio. Didn't we, before that, also from the master, you're tuned into uh, Jester Radio this Friday, March the 24th. The year of our lard, 2006, hanging with S. Poe behind the glass, taking your requests. Um, please send your request to request at jesterradio.com, or you can head over to www.jesterradio.com and click on where it says requests and simply follow the instructions from there. Uh, the National Security Agency would not have been uh, barred from capturing communications between doctors and patients. We're now learning the extent to which uh, this uh, new impingement on your uh, privacy has gone. What do they want to know about our uh, medical reports? Well, the point is that um, you know there is a law protecting your uh, medical records. It's called it's called patient uh, um, doctor patient privilege. Uh huh. And um, we're now learning that this and uh, you know the the NSA's a blanket ability to snoop in on anybody's email and phone calls and internet communications 
was uh, did not take the doctor-patient privilege into consideration. Oh, they uh, didn't realize they might be breaking that. They didn't. They didn't care. They didn't make any special provision for it, and they didn't care. Attorneys and their clients was also violated during its controversial warrantless surveillance program. Justice Department told Congress today such communication normally have to receive special legal protections. Although the program does not specifically target the communications of attorneys or physicians, calls involving such persons would not be categorically excluded from interception. No. The department said in responses to questions from lawmakers, everybody kept raising their hand and saying, you mean the shit going on between the clients and the lawyers was not protected? No. So you bugged clients and lawyers? Yes. And you did it without warrants? Yes. And you're admitting that freely to us? (laughs) The department said the same general criteria for the surveillance program would also apply to doctors and lawyers' calls. One party must be outside the United States. There must be reason to believe one party is linked to al-Qaeda. For example, they may listen to a Lebanese radio station, and that would link them to al-Qaeda. Well, they may have recently eaten figs that came from Iran that they purchased at a local fruit stand. They need that much justification? (laughs) That's the ironclad. (laughs) Thousands of people across the country protested today against legislation cracking down on illegal immigrants with demonstrators in such cities as L.A., Phoenix, Atlanta, staging school walkouts, marches, and work stoppages. So all the illegal aliens <laughs> protested in L.A., Phoenix, and Atlanta. Now, let me tell you, I have nothing against opening, fucking, throwing open the borders of every country in the world, but that's the trick. It's got to be done simultaneously. <laughs> This whole idea of one country doing it so everybody should pack in like sardines, bullshit. That's not the way it works. That's not the fair thing. So if you're going to have rules about who's going to go into your fucking countries, then everybody does. Don't be surprised. And I have a perfect cure for the illegal immigration. Either make it legal or get them the fuck out. Because what the hell is the point of making laws that you're not going to enforce? Because they don't enforce shit. What's your position on immigration, Poe? Well, I wish I had the answer. There's no, I mean, as far as I can tell, that uh, without welfare, you definitely have more people willing to pick cotton or pick the vegetables and the immigrants who think That's that they're the only point. ones that can do the well, job. Well, you've gone right to the heart of the thing is that we've heard again and again is that these uh, the, the people who are, are for uh, amnesty for the, immigrant, uh, the, the migrant workers say that Americans don't want to do the work. They're a necessary part of the U.S. economy, which is a fact. So how do you eliminate that from uh, being a necessary part? You get real hungry. You get real fucking hungry, my friend. And what's your position? Then let's take a step backwards. What's your feelings about government cheese? And and the government handing out food and shelter to everybody that can't afford it. If they have excess cheese or they're saving cheese aside, or how's this cheese getting there? Well, you may recall many years ago in New York City, they handed out cheese for the, the poor people. the back pe- of a truck? Yeah. 
to the poor people because it came to somebody's in the in the attention of the New York City government that poor people were hungry. Is that right? Yeah. So they started handing out like 20-pound packs of cheese and boxes of bread and gov- and it became like known as government cheese. Happened once or it kept happening? It happened once for a couple of years. And that was it? That's what the you know, no bread? Yeah, there was some bread and there was bottled water and some mustard maybe. Some milk. And they had to wait online for like five or six hours for it. It's like a real Russian situation. Or the Depression. Congress is considering bills. So what's your position on handing out free food and shelter to poor people? I say that uh, it's real tough to turn your back on someone that's starving and dying in front of your eyes. So if you got something to give, you might as well give it. Yeah, no, I'm not talking about the individual. I'm talking about governments handing out. It's not a very good policy. I mean, I have nothing against it either. I'd love to help more people out, but 50% of every dollar, uh, 73 cents of every dollar that goes to the federal government is absorbed by the machine. So if I wanted to go out to Shantytown and hand somebody a $50 bill, that's my fucking business. I think there's enough uh, dirt to be cleaned. That you don't really have to give anything away for free. Yeah, you keep going back to that. There are a certain limited number of people that cannot actually work. And those people, I do believe, we have a responsibility for. Well, I don't believe that. And you just think they should die? Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't have a responsibility for anybody else, and nobody else has a responsibility for me. I'm a grown adult, and if I don't know that my own demise or decrepitation is eventually coming and prepare for it, then nobody else should do it for me. That's 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 absurd. Right, but let's say you get run over I'm by a being, train. Uh, then I'm, all my worries are over, my friend. Uh, but you only lost your legs. Well, um, I guess I would rely on my savings or insurance that I set aside for an incident such as that. Or I would just and die a slow and painful years death. Old and your parents didn't have insurance for you. Then I would die the slow, painful and death. And you were an A student. Actually, in the United States, I would be the beneficiary of such tremendous charity by so many giving folks. Well, that's what I'm talking about. That I'm not really worried at that point. But I think that I think charity is great. But I don't believe it's the government's job to be handing out no, the charity. It's not. But we should have leaders that encourage societies that are giving. And I sharing. agree with that. That's an amazing thing. Leaders that encourage. It's amazing. How long has it been since we've even talked about having leaders that inspire us to do great things? We used to have presidents. We had a president one time that created a whole society of helping people. And he said, you should go out across the fucking country and show people how to fucking, uh, you know roll cigarettes and do civilized shit. And he invented the fucking Peace Corps and sent fucking millions of, of decent fucking hearted kids to uh, donate their fucking time and, and energy and When was knowledge. the last time you saw a leader? Name the one. I honestly can't think of one. You gotta go back to people like Gandhi and Martin King. Luther King, I guess, was the very last... Congress is considering bills that would make it a felony to be illegally in the United States, impose new penalties on employers who hire illegal immigrants and erect fences along one-third of the U.S.-Mexican border. This is what tax dollars are for. 
guard the borders, and take out the garbage. The Los Angeles demonstration led to fights between blacks and Hispanic students at one high school, but the protest, and, and, and try and guess who was on which side. We all have to stop getting off our special interests. If we're all going to live together, then just because you're fucking black doesn't mean you can't fucking understand the Spanish guy's side and vice versa. So stop it. Stop everybody polarizing automatically over every issue. We hear that there's protests at a fucking high school where the niggers and the spicks are at each other's throats, and we hear that it's about immigration. Let's just guess who was on which side. (laughs) This fucking polarization is enough. It's enough. It's the, uh, not the ploy. That is the ploy. Keep them at each other's throats. Chantel Mason, sophomore at George Washington Preparatory High. And by the way, we can't show you pictures uh, over internet radio. So I'm telling you, it's Chantel Mason, if you know what I mean. And she goes to George Washington High. Okay? So you, without showing you the picture, you know what's going on, right? It says, black students jumped Hispanic students as they left classes to protest a bill passed the House in December that would make it a felony to be in the U.S. illegally. So these kids were screaming at each other, my fucking cousin, without her, you wouldn't eat grapes. Well, fuck, you can suck my dick out of your fucking grapes. And they start whacking each other. It was horrible, horrible, Mason said. It's ridiculous that a bunch of black students would jump on Latinos like that knowing they're trying to get their freedom. What? (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me? (laughs) Trying to get their freedom? That's not, America is not fucking sanctuary. Once you get across the fucking river sticks, <laughs> yeah, you where do I sign up for my freedom? You <laughs> exactly. America's just another fucking country. It's not the re- it's not the world's repository of freedom. Come here and get your free freedom. Which line? Which line is the freedom? <laughs> it's just another fucking country. And just because it happens to be better than everybody else's doesn't mean you can jump in and say, "I got here, phew, I'm free." And let me tell you a little story about that. There was a guy, he was in prison for many years, and he dug a hole. And it took him like 20 years to dig a tunnel down across the highway. And one day he fucking gets in the tunnel and he says goodbye to his old cell. And he crawls along that tunnel and he comes up three quarters of a mile later and he pops out. And he's in a little playground with children playing around him. And he can't help himself. He pops out and tears are streaming down his face. And he says, I'm free. I'm free. And a little five-year-old girl walks up to him and she says, so what? I'm four. (laughs) Thought you'd be looking for the next in line to love. Then ignore, put out, put away. And so you'd soon be leaving me alone like I'm supposed to be Tonight, tomorrow, and every day There's nothing here that you'll miss I can guarantee you this is a cloud of smoke Occupy space What a fucking joke 
Of life have been chasing my soul, and my mind is transcendental, and I'm losing all control, and I'm sinking in the quagmire of illusions and throw. I cry out, My name is T-Bone, as a hound dog digs a hole. You ask so many questions, what answer should I choose? Is this Plato's heebie-jeebies or just existential blues? Existential blues, my blue suede existential blues. I was on a quest, walking down the road. I was walking down the road. I was looking for the truth of life, and I came across all these little people, little people, little people all around me. They looked at me, and said, "Hey, Mister, are you tall?" I said, "Yes, I'm tall, but who are you?" Where little wonders? They looked at me with their big red bloodshot eyes. They said, "We are the lollipopkins, lollipopkins, lollipopkins. We are the lollipopkins." I'm on a quest. Walking on the road. I said, hey kids, I'm looking for the truth of life. Where do I go? Who do I see? They said, slow down, mister. In order to find the truth of life, one must see the wizard. I said, the wizard? Well, where's this wizard old wise one live? I said, you see the big green glow in a dark house up on a hill? I said, yes, I see the big green glow in a dark house up on a hill. There's a big dark forest between me and the big green glow in a dark house up on a hill. The little old lady on a Hoover vacuum cleaner going, I don't even have a little dog, Toto. 
Such predicaments I must forge ahead. Walking on the road I was find the truth of life. I said, but you know, kids, I can handle a big green glow in a dark house of a hill. I can handle a dark forest. I can handle a little old lady, but it's a very strange road you're sending me down. I've seen yellow stripes in the middle of a road before, but kids uh, never quite that wide. All right, tighten your shorts, pilgrim, and sing like the Duke. Tired of walking down this old blinding yellow road, so I pull my little tired body off a little rest area, and lo and behold, a little field of little red flowers out there, and it <laughs> smells so good. <laughs> I was getting pretty tired, and it smells so good, and I figured, well, I'll just stretch out in this little field of puppy, 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 puppy. <laughs> yeah, what a strange dream, man, you know. Uh, little flat flowers that smell awfully good, and I was very tired, and the old wizard's just gonna have to wait, man, because I'm just gonna stretch out again in this little field of puppy, puppy, puppy. <laughs> Oh God! Dorothy, Dorothy, Along came this old man in a green Eldorado too, screeched to a halt. A little short man with a big red nose, toking a bottle of Yukon Jack, strolled up to me and said, "Hey, son." I said, "Old man, don't bother me, Bobby." He said, "T-Bone." I said, "Wait a minute, this man knows my name. He must be the Wizard. You must be the Wizard." The Wizard of Oz Why have you come to haunt me? A Wizard of Oz I said, oh, Wizard of Wise, when I have been on a quest Walk down the road with a do I I got tired, Poppy, 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 A little bit, I've been through hell He said, hey, son, slow down, relax I said, but Wizard of Wise, when I've come so far to find the truth of life He says, hey, son, slow down, relax He said, to tell you the truth, son I said, Wizard, that's what I've come to find is the truth He says, no, 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 son, you got me all wrong To tell you the truth, son, uh, how can I tell you this, uh I've been in this field of poppies a long time myself, and I've come to find, son, that the only truth in life is right here in this bottle. I said, wizard. He said, no, truly, son. In fact, I'd rather have this bottle in front of me than a frontal lobotomy. How profound is it? Some girl with psychic powers, she said, T-Bone, what's your sign? I blink and answer neon. I thought I'd blow her mind. She's reading Moby Dick by some fruitcake named Herman. She's chomping on an aquash. Was the Duchess really joining? You ask so many questions. What answers should I choose? Is this really Butte, Montana, or just existential blues? Really Butte, Montana? Is this Plato's EBGBs? Is this Kitsoy Paranoia? I think that's enough of that. Tom T. Bones Dankus on Just Radio and the Existential Blues. You just don't hear that one too much. Elliot Smith, before that, I didn't understand. There's nothing here that you'll miss. I can guarantee you this is a cloud of smoke trying to occupy space. What a fucking joke. What a fucking joke. You're listening to the ravings of a clown on Jest Radio this Friday, March the 24th. 
the year of our Lord, 2004. A high-resolution camera, by the way, hanging with uh, S. Poe behind the glass. Good evening, son. Yep. A high-resolution camera aboard NASA's latest spacecraft to reach Mars sent back its first view of the red planet from orbit, according to the space agency today. The the CRISP test image from the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter was taken late Thursday in an altitude of 1,547 miles and shows... How do they know it's Thursday? Well, it's got a timestamp on it. It's Thursday by Earth clock. Aren't you clever? Shows a 30.9 mile by 11.7 mile area of the planet's mid-latitude southern highlands, which is where we used to go in the spring. The mosaic of the 10 side by side exposures shows a cratered surface with ravine or canyon-like channels on both sides. NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab said the smallest discernible objects are about 25 feet across, but the camera will be able to capture images of objects of less than three feet across once it reaches its much lower mapping orbit. The quality uh, bodes well for future pictures, said Alfred McEwen of the University of Arizona, principal investigator for the high-resolution imaging science experiment camera. I'm looking at your uh, computer screen. I see a picture of uh, what you're talking about. Yeah. And look over in that left-hand corner over there. Yeah. Do you see those, those like two eyeballs and those little blue hands? Yeah. Looks like Martians. Yeah, there's something definitely going on down there. Doesn't it look like it? Thank God for high def. And th- this is the highest resolution camera ever built in the history of the world. The performance of the spacecraft looks superb. There's certainly no obvious smear here, he said in a, tele- a telephone interview. They have pointed us and oriented us just right to get unsmeared images. He was trying not to be too technical with us. <laughs> the spacecraft reached Mars on March 10th and went into a giant elliptical orbit. Over a period of months, it will dip into the upper atmosphere in a process called aerobraking to reach altitudes between 199 miles and 158 miles. You know from like, you know, 400 miles up, they could fucking see you wipe the crack of your ass from Earth-bound satellites. So you could see these guys are going to be 150 to 200 miles up in the air. They're going to be taking crisp and clean fucking pictures. Who told you about that uh, Internet site with all that shots of my ass? Right. I have that. The science phase of the 720... By the way, you can get that uh, link at uh, www. $720 million mission should begin in November. The first image is comparable in resolution to those from Mars Orbiter Camera above the Mars Global Surveyor spacecraft, which has been orbiting the Red Planet since 97. The main purpose of the initial image was to calibrate the camera. Two other cameras are on the orbiter, the Context Camera and the Mars Color Imager. And they were also tested last night during their 40-minute checkout. And uh, everything looks A-OK, as they say in the space biz. Meanwhile, Randy Quaid, who plays a tough sheep rancher in Brokeback Mountain, claims that he was fleeced for his work. No, he's not dead. He says that he got robbed. Quaid filed a lawsuit yesterday in Los Angeles County Superior Court alleging producers got him to work cheaply by falsely claiming Brokeback was a low-budge art house film with no prospect of making any money. Oh, that means he's a fool, right? He's a, exactly. He's saying they hoodwinked him by saying 
It says that on the contract, but it hasn't been in the business for 40 years yet. Yet from day one, the defendants fully intended that this film would not be made on a low budget, would be given a worldwide release, and would be supported as the studio picture it always was secretly intended to be. So I think every movie ever made is secretly intended to be a studio release, don't you think? Yes. (laughs) Quaid agreed to waive his usual seven-figure fee and share in the gross profits in favor of a much smaller payment, he says, although didn't say how much he was paid. The 55-year-old actor was nominated for an Oscar in his 73 last detail. He played uh, Colonel Tom Parker, Elvis' manager in the TV movie Elvis. He was pretty fucking brilliant in that last detail. He was brilliant in everything. The guy never did anything wrong. Well, uh... Think about it. The uh, Independence Day, he wasn't brilliant. I didn't see that. But yes, I agree. He is brilliant in everything. Pressed by Congress, the American Red Cross said today that it's investigating claims that volunteers engaged in widespread theft in the wake of Hurricane Katrina. Have you heard about this? No, say it again. The Red Cross has basically moved in gangster style, the gangland style, into uh, New Orleans. And they've basically taken over the streets. S-T-A. Any conduct that violates either the law or Red Cross code of conduct is not tolerated said spokesman Chuck Connor. What? That's his name. No, what are you talking about? The Red Cross is taking control of the streets in New Orleans? They've become like a gang. They're raping and pillaging. The Red Cross. The Red Cross. Who are they raping and pillaging? The homeless and innocent. What are they taking from them? What little they possessions, money, sex. Adding that any criminal wrongdoing uncovered by the group's conduct and ethics office will be turned over to law enforcement officials. Allegations of wrongdoing go far beyond what the statement said, inevitable departures from standard procedures after such a catastrophe, according to the chairman. Senator Charles Grassley, the Republican from Iowa, said volunteers may have committed criminal fraud. Accusations. Well, everybody who works for the Red Cross is a volunteer. Are they like post-Katrina volunteers? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Accusations include improperly diverting relief supplies like the mafia, violating Red Cross rules by using felons as volunteers. Mm-hmm. They, got their, they figured this is a great racket. Let's join Grassley this. has threatened to rewrite or revoke the organization's charter if it doesn't overhaul its operations. Here's another thing we've got to get rid of is government-sponsored charity. What the fuck is this? The government gives its official okie-dokie <laughs> on the Red Cross. It's caveat emptor. That's what your charities are, just like every other product you buy, just like your mattress and your fucking, uh, you know. Blender. Blender. It's fucking buyer beware, folks. Of course they're going to fucking. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. You set a bunch of folks free on some deserted streets of New Orleans where they're a bunch of fucking ignorant, uneducated, you know, uh, uh, minorities and uh, they'll fucking be left to their own devices. It'll turn into fucking, uh, you know, uh, what's that novel? Where the kids get stranded on the desert. Oh, the Lord of the Flies. Yeah, man, turns into the Lord of the Flies. Every time. Silicon Valley historic orchards have virtually disappeared, but one notable fruit still stands. An apple tree. The apple, as the storied company celebrates its 30th birthday, 30th birthday this week, Apple Computer will have brushed off its bruises 
from product failures. We're almost out of bad puns. The worm is coming up next. From product failures and arguably misguided decisions to emerge with a shine that's more than skin deep. Its brand name and products from the Mac to the iPod resonate as both hip and innovative. For all its recent successes, however, Apple has had its share of challenges ahead as it matures into a digital media provider. Now they've, they're not a computer company anymore. They're an iTunes company. In the digital music arena where Apple dominates, French lawmakers are angling to force the company to change its successful way of chaining its popular iPod player to its online iTunes music store. Recording labels are also chafing at Apple's insistence that its song downloads remain at 99 cents apiece. Whose insistence? Well, Steve Jobs has been going around threatening all of the um, music providers that don't they dare raise their prices above 99 cents. Um, as you may know, if, if you buy songs from iTunes or you buy them from BMG or you buy them from Napster or you buy them from any of the services online that sell, you know, even uh, Walmart has a great service. Yeah, what? Uh, to download music. Mm -hmm. um, all those places charge 99 cents or less per cut. And who's saying what? And Steve Jobs is going around threatening everybody not to raise their prices because there's been a lot of talk about... What does he care if they raise their prices? Because he sells iPods, and if music becomes too expensive, iPods... Well, they can just go to iTunes and get their... Uh, iTunes costs money, too. But it's not going to be raised, or he doesn't have control over that. He does, but... Um, if you're the lowest... And you also sell the iPods. I think you'd be pretty happy if everyone else. Well, but he doesn't. Prices. But but he doesn't have every song in the world. Oh, he doesn't. No, well, nobody can. Everybody, there's always going to be some crossover. Right. Well, if someone's priced out, they might come running to iTunes. You, I don't like the arguments. Steve you know, Jones, I don't like I, the arguments either. I'm just telling you, this is what he's <laughs> whining about. Oh, yeah, well, I understand, but uh, my opinion is. There's something fishy here. Recording labels are also chafing at Apple's insistence that its song downloads remain at 99 cents a piece. Apple CEO Steve Jobs rebutted by calling the record industry greedy. You imagine the chutzpah of this man calling the record industry greedy? In the computer space where Apple is seeing its best sales in years, information security firms have discovered a few new vulnerabilities in its Macintosh operating system. People always say, oh, you should switch over from Windows to Mac because Mac is less vulnerable. And, of course, that's because less people give a fuck about cracking it. <laughs> right. It's just every bit is vulnerable. It's a waste of time. It's who wants to get into the 12 people who have a Mac. And it's like stepping on an anthill versus a... Exactly. A building. Though the security breaches have been innocuous, security experts say they, they signal that Apple is a higher-profile target now for hackers who in the past have focused heavily on Microsoft's predominant Windows system... Apple is on more people's radar now that the company is a major force, said Tim Bajorin, president of Creative Strategies, a technology consultancy. And these are all growing pains. Apple's journey began in 1976 when two college dropouts, Jobs, marketing whiz, and his friend Steve Wozniak, an engineering genius, filed partnership papers on April Fool's Day, their eyes set on building and selling personal computers. Another friend, Ron Wayne, opted out of the risky venture within the first two weeks. He's hanging out with he the built, best. He built, a, <laughs> he built an ass-kicking machine. <laughs> <laughs> the first product 
was a build it yourself computer kit a year later of course that was the uh, infamous apple one it was it came as a disassembled kit year later 77 the apple two was born it was not the first personal computer but it was the most successful hit not just among engineers but home users too and not only that but business users as well and back in those days i was programming for the apple two many credit the apple two as the genius of the personal computer uh revolution apple's cultural and technical influences only grew from there some of the cupertino california-based company creations have been duds that failed to make any money but a source of inspiration and income for others for example the apple lisa which was introduced in 1983, which had an innovative icon and mouse-based graphical user interface, laid the foundation of today's computers, replaced the previous arcane text-based systems. Of course, most people don't realize that the Lisa was the very first computer sold that had icons and mouses and windows and so on. And it sold for $10,000 in 1983. So they didn't sell a lot of them. But a couple of years later, they discontinued it and they made the Macintosh, which was sort of like a budget Lisa. And, of course, the Mac was hugely successful, giving birth to desktop publishing by allowing users to create their own newsletter or printed material. And, of course, the secret sauce in the Macintosh is the graphics were integral to the operating system. On Microsoft, it was still text-based, and graphics were sort of painful to look at on the PC. Microsoft eventually copied the user-friendly graphical interface and licensed its Windows software to manufacturers who copied the IBM PC. And uh, again, that's leaving out a little bit of the story because, of course, Apple stole the uh, um, interface from the park, from the Palo Alto Research Center, very famous... uh, incident where the park researchers gave Steve Jobs a tour through this ultra-secret, um, you know, think tank that belonged to Xerox back in the mid-70s, and he took copious notes. And that's where he first saw the puck, which he renamed the mouse, and that's where he first saw windows, which were actually called screens, but he called them windows and made tiny little changes. He saw the first um, uh, you know, visual operating system, which was called um, uh, like Little Speak or something like that, which he copied too. And uh, so everything's a copy of something. Everything actually originated at Park, the Palo Alto Research Center in Palo Alto, California. That's where everything that we think of as modern computers with mice and icons and pointing and clicking. That's where it all came from. The rest is just What cr- song does that remind you of? Not a thing. <laughs> You're listening to the ravings of a clown on Jester Radio. It's the Dixie Chicks, honey. Don't fuck with that dial. Two days past 18. He was waiting for the bus and his army green sat down in a booth at a cafe there. She gave him a smile and he said, Would you mind sitting down for a while and talking to me? I'm feeling a little low. She said, I'm off in an hour and I know where we can go. So they went down and they sat on the pier. He said, I bet you got a boy. 
Leonard Skinner on Jester Radio. That was the name of a shop teacher. That was a gym teacher. Whatever. Dixie Chicks uh, before. F train. Big pardon? F train. <laughs> what are you, my fucking Art Garfunkel? <laughs> Dixie Chicks before that, and Traveling Soldiers, you're tuned into the Rovings of Acclaim this Friday, March the 24th, the year of our Lord. Rovings. Rovings. Rovings of Acclaim. Oh, Ravings. The Ravings of Acclaim on Jester Radio. And uh, coming to you from a secret location, Bob the Engineer has asked me to remind you that if you missed any portion of this evening's show, you could check the recast at uh, 2 a.m. and then... And then 2 p.m. What is that knocking supposed two. to? Bob doing two. Oh, know, right. You know, they used to say that on the radio business, whenever you gave out a phone number, you're supposed to play those tones of somebody dialing the phone. helps them remember. Get out of here. Yeah, I never understood that either, but that's what they say. So I wonder if we should be doing two gongs of some, or something. Uh, all times Eastern, check your local listings for uh, the broadcast in your area. Or you could check out our new uh, podcast from iTunes and just search for Ravings of a Clown. A London Hotel. And there's a lot of other Bob things to say. Please stop by the Jester Radio website at www.jesterradio.com. Check out the Jester Radio tchotchke store where you can indulge yourself in unlimited quantities of genuine JR crap. Crap. And uh, load up on that stuff. And we have some new stuff coming in. But we have a very cool clock now, which we have up yeah, in the studio. Yeah, I noticed studio. your clock. Isn't that great? And we have these dandy um, water, cool. what are these things Coasters. Called? Coasters. And they're nice quality ceramic. This one's been through yeah, heck. You could tell that. But they, it'll wash up nice. They had low-wage workers painting it's all good, through good the night. It's good quality stuff. So load up on that. The holidays are coming, right? We have, what do we have? The Easter, St. Patrick's. Passover. Ramadan. And it's especially appreciated during Ramadan season. You always need a good coaster. And we have other stuff. We have boxer underwear, I think. We have mugs, which are very handsome. So load up on that and also mash that donate button. Just keep hitting it repeatedly. And uh, give till it hurts. A London hotel is offering art fans a chance to emulate impressionist Claude Monet in the room where he painted his classic studies of the Thames skyline. For 2,600 pounds or about $4,500 in real money, a couple can stay two nights wow. in the Savoy Hotel room. Fantasy painting camp. Where Monet painted 70 canvases. For that price, they also get an easel, some paint, <laughs> for 4,500 bucks. Get to eat cheese and they, wear berets. And they get the advice of an arts teacher on how to reproduce the French painter's famous works. Somebody scream at them in French. <laughs> you imbecile. Hitting them with paintbrushes. <laughs> Teacher will also take you around London's National, natu- uh, National Gallery to see the Monet paintings there and point out what to look for. You can't take them back up to your room so that they're... Uh, it's a mini painting holiday. You get to paint a mustache on one of his women. The Savoy's artistic traditional was started by James McNeil Whistler, who painted a picture of the scaffolding when the hotel was being built in the 1880s. My lord is like a stream of bat piss. Monet followed him as a guest. Oscar Wilde rotated in his grave, as did fellow artists Oscar Kokocha and Andy Warhol themselves. Relax, don't work so hard. These days, no one else in America does, and that might not be such a bad thing. 
for an employer's bottom line. It's March Madness when millions of U.S. workers spend so much time following the men's college basketball games of the NCAA tournament that one estimate is that they're costing companies $3.8 billion in lost productivity. That price comes as no surprise, said one Boston area salesman who says his clients have been preoccupied with the three-week 65-team event that ends with the final game on April 3rd. I'd call customers and they'd say, call me later, I'm watching the game on my computer and I don't want to be bothered, he said. You got a uh, Boston accent for us? No. None of those words were park? Kid, if they're not packing the car, I just am not interested. Every office I go to, it's all they're talking about. To arrive at the lost three point eight billion dollars, consultants Challenger, Gray, and Christmas use data showing that some forty-one percent of U.S. workers, about fifty-eight million people, consider themselves college basketball fans. Anything to get out of fucking work and to get involved in those stupid pools that they're all running. I remember when I was in the city, every time uh, March Madness came around, somebody would hand me one of these stupid pieces of paper with the tree on it. Right. Like 12 times a day. And I had no fucking idea what to write on anything. You end up in the middle of a Saturday Night Live sketch. (laughs) What was that? I don't know. Just anything that happens in an office. Right, right. That's right. Libyan leader Muammar Gaddafi lectured U.S. audience on democracy yesterday. said Libya was the only real democracy in the world. And then everybody wore their underwear on the outside. Pardon me, what was that again? Via a video link, Gaddafi addressed an unprecedented gathering of U.S. and Libyan academics. You never thought you'd hear those two words next to each other. (laughs) Prompted by a thaw in relations since the former pariah state decided in 2003 to abandon nuclear weapons and took responsibility for the 1988 Lockerbie bombing. Like that picture of them both jerking each other off? He tapped... Who, Gaddafi and Bush? Yeah, that's so cute. He doubted Libya's political system uh, as superior to be farcical and fake parliamentary and representative democracies in the West. There is no state with a democracy except Libya on the whole planet, Gaddafi said. At the conference at Columbia University in New York, Libya's Jamaria system under which Libyans can air their views at people's congresses is genuine democracy, said Gaddafi who spoke through a translator and was dressed in purple robes and seated at a desk in front of a map of Africa. Of course, if anybody disagrees with him, then they, they die. They can speak their minds. The U.S. Central Intelligence Agency World Factbook describes Libyan government as Jamaria, which is a state of the masses in theory, governed by the populace through local councils, in fact, a military dictatorship. Gaddafi said Libya's new openness would not lead Libyans to covet what they do not have. On the contrary, he said, the rest of the world will soon be emulating Libya. <laughs> oh, I'm waiting in that line. You know, I believe in what I used to refer to as the Walkman effect. I guess now you call it the iPod effect. Right, that music, getting to choose your own music will set you free. Not just choosing your own music, but seeing a device such as this. These people are waiting four hours online to take a crap and wipe their ass with newspaper. And then they see some American pop by with a fucking iPod sticking out of his Murder ear. Murder pair of Levi's. And he's thinking to himself, something is fucked. <laughs> I want to get on that train. <laughs> I want to get over on that fucking side. That is fucked. Gaddafi says Libya is new. And this is what happened in Russia. Once they started letting the Westerners over there, it was only a matter of time. 
First, you know, you could, yeah. uh, it was the American joke that you could pay for your trip by just bringing over enough blue jeans packed in your luggage to sell on the streets for fucking, you know, $500 a pair. Uh-huh. And that's what happened. Once they got a load of those fucking jeans and they wanted a, what's that you're listening to, man? Oh, it's a portable stereo I put in my fucking pocket. These guys are saying, I waited online yesterday seven hours for a potato, right. and this guy's carrying his stereo right. in his pocket. It sounds better than What's the opera. wrong with this picture? <laughs> <laughs> what is fucking wrong with this picture, man? These guys are the bad guys? Yeah, I got some catching I want to get on the fucking bad guy's side. Countries like the United States, India, China, the Russian Federation are in bad need of John Maria's system, he said. This is the savior to them. Challenged by U.S. moderator about freedom of speech, Gaddafi said every Libyan was free to express his opinions at the Congresses and that it was a better forum than even a newspaper because they know that they'll get their fucking dicks cut off. John Alterman, director of the Middle Eastern program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, one of the two U.S. moderators, said one of Gaddafi's comments might have sounded jarring to Americans. One of the hard things when you haven't talked to somebody for more than 30 years is we really don't understand how we sound to them and how they don't understand how they sound to us, he said. We obviously have a ways to go before we're speaking the same language. And that's the way it'll Hopefully always be. be English. And, that, and that's the way it always will be with a dictatorship because dictatorships have this really incredible balance to them that it always involves the... Emmanuel Goldstein. There's two elements to this, a successful dictatorship. One is you got to keep the <clears throat> excuse me country constantly at war, mm-hmm. because with war comes nationalism and sacrifice, and people are willing to give up to beat the greater enemy. Right. So you have to keep people in a constant state of war, and the other secret is you have to deprive them of what's going on in the outside world. Because when they get a load of what's going on and people are doing shit every day and they're living these miserable fucking suck-ass lives, then they'll think, we don't have to fucking live this way. These guys are wiping their asses with fucking $100 bills, millionaires who call themselves princes and kings, but they're really just fucking dictators. This clown calls himself a colonel. I always imagined. Closest he ever got to the fucking army is when he sold his fucking sister to a troop of Marines that came in in Ramallah. I I try to imagine, like most places in the world, watching an American movie and the mandatory food food fight scene comes on. Right. And they're looking at in horror as the food goes flying onto the floor. Can you imagine what they must be thinking? It would be like seeing people throwing around, you know, thousand dollar bills. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> little babies. <laughs> That's right. Or watch it splat against the That's wall. Right. You know, I, I remember um, asking an art teacher when I was younger why the great artists all painted their women in very generous proportions. You know, they liked the Zoftic women, you know. Uh-huh. You, you know what he said to me? No. He said, because to them, these guys were fucking starving to death. Uh-huh. This was the most beautiful thing they ever the, saw. Like next to a pizza. This was a vagina that got enough to eat. I mean, it was fucking Shangri-La. It was a fucking chick who was getting a regular right. fucking diet. Right. What right. was more hot than that? Yeah, so a culture with hot skeletons, you know, you got to think about. Unbelievable, huh? Yeah. 
kind of fucking twisted ass fucking shit that we've ended up in. Texas has begun sending undercover. Doesn't look like she's eating for a month. I want to fuck that. (laughs) (laughs) I know there is nothing hot about that. And if if you've ever had sex, actually been naked with a woman, who's painfully thin, it's really a horrible, unattractive thing. So I imagine it looks good with the clothes on um, to some guys, and even that's not hot to me. But with the clothes off, man, it's ghastly. Yeah, suddenly you're in Auschwitz. Texas has begun sending undercover agents with tattoos in the wrong places into into <laughs> yeah. bars. Yeah. Can you name three women these days that doesn't have a tattoo crawling down the back of her, you know, right into her ass? Nice little triangular shape. My two daughters. Don't. Don't. That's and two. I guess any future children you may have. <laughs> but no, I can't imagine anybody. But I don't find it unattractive. No, but just the fact that it's mandatory. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I remember going to a bar mitzvah a few years back, and I, when I was still married, I remember turning to my wife and asking her, when did it become uh, no longer voluntary for boys to get that earring? <laughs> <laughs> it was such a radical thing to do when I was a kid, you know? Yeah. Now all the boys are, you know, have multiple piercings, all the girls too. They don't care what ear it's in. It's true too I'll tell you man I got my ear pierced Only because I was broken up with the Jeff And I was looking for something to do I did my you know Dylan transformation thing I got a black leather jacket And started started (laughs) Fall off my bike But I changed my whole look Right away And I started seeing that chick uh, Sarah Ann Remke Who did all that art That album art Since And she uh, Said that she would only get her ears pierced if I went with her and I got my ear pierced. And I'll tell you, man, I did some heavy fucking research. This was pre-internet days, but I think I went down to like the Library of Congress and checked it out thoroughly to make sure I was getting the correct <laughs> ear <laughs> punched. Spent the week in the village. I spent the week in the village interviewing people. Made sure there were no mirrors around. Right. Thank God I got the right one. Uh, the left one, which is the correct one. Texas has begun sending undercover agents into bars to arrest drinkers for being drunk. Yeah, that's great. The first thing operation was conducted recently in a Dallas suburb where agents infiltrated 36 bars and arrested 30 people for public intoxication. How'd you find me, copper? (laughs) (laughs) Finding drunks in a bar, what are the chances? Being in a bar does not exempt one from the state laws against public drunkness. According to Carolyn Beck, the commission's... uh, uh, head of the uh, Alcoholic Beverage Commission. The goal, she said, is was to detain drunks before they leave the bar and do something dangerous like drive a car. Apparently, there's not enough crime being committed in and around Texas that uh, they're now arresting people for being drunk in a bar. We feel the only way we're going to get the uh, at the drunk driving problem and the problem of people hurting each other while drunk is by crackdowns like this, she said, there's a lot of dangerous and stupid things people do when they're intoxicated other than get behind the wheel of a car. So it's preemptive law now. As soon as anybody gets drunk, granted, you know, you never hear the study that says, you know, you always hear like, oh, 50% of all accidents are caused by drunk drivers. But then you got to check out the study. What percentage of drunk people cause the <laughs> cause accidents? Most people I know get drunk and they fucking take a cab or they, you know, Right, they're more responsible. They're, they, they're okay, right. 
There's a lot of dangerous and stupid things. So, but they're arresting people now before they even think about doing anything. Are you going to order a drink? Step over here. Bend over. <laughs> <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> There's a lot of dangerous things other people, other than get behind the wheel of a car. Except people walk out into traffic and get run over. Now the cops are apparently in charge of protecting us from getting run over. People jump off of balconies trying to reach a swimming pool and miss. Is this a, is this a big problem? I haven't heard about this. People jump off of balconies trying to reach a swimming pool and miss. Folks, this is what's known as genetic combing. When you have people who are so fucking stupid and drunk, they go out on the balcony and say, I'll jump down those fucking 60 feet and hit that pool, but instead they hit their head and they die. It's no big loss. I don't think that the world is a fucking less of a place. You know that Bill Hicks uh, joke about the people that drop acid and think they can fly? What? He says, you know, we're not really losing too Ooh. much there. You know, I, I've seen a lot of ducks. None of them took an elevator to the roof to I start gotta, flying. I got to tell you. <laughs> I gotta tell you, man, I took a lot of fucking hallucinogenic drugs in my time, and I never did anything like that. I couldn't even stand up off a chair, much less jump out a fucking window, nor do what I want to. So, right, I don't but, know uh, what's uh, with those all people. The power to you and if you I'll want tell you to. something else, man. I'll tell you two other fucking popular myths I'll get rid of right now. Flashbacks, I wish nah. to get fucking wasted without spending 45 <laughs> bucks. Please, where do I sign up for these supposed anytime they can hit you in the future and you get a flashback of an acid trip involuntary while you're driving down the highway? Remember that one? Yeah, no, it always happens when I'm watching the news. And the other one with acid was uh, the other great myth. Your hand is so fucking cool. Actually, I've had that happen. (laughs) That one works pretty good. (laughs) That one does work. (laughs) (laughs) That was good. No, but there's another one about acid that's like so, so absurd. What, that you got to hold the banana to calm down? No, that one's true, too. She said the sting operations will continue throughout the state. So if you're in Texas, uh, there is no place left, apparently, to get drunk. The next thing is, of course, they'll be knocking down your door. Is somebody drinking in there? The website reads like an advertisement for a holiday home. It's uh, Bastoy, the place for you. It asks next to photographs of a sunset. Sparkling off the tranquil waters of the Oslo Fjord and horses pulling sleighs over packed snow, this wooded island can be, if you're a rapist, a murderer, a drug trafficker, or oh, really? have accepted a large bribe. We try to take a cross-section of the country's prison population, not just the nice criminals, says Oyvind Alnes, governor of the minimum security prison at Bastoy Island. That name again? His name is Alv Oyvind Alnes. Sounds Jewish. Uh, about 46 miles south of the Norwegian capital, inmates have included Norway's most notorious serial killer, Hergen Flergen, <laughs> convicted of murdering. It's not Jew. like anybody's going to fucking send a mail. Convicted of murdering 22 people when he was a manager of a nursing home in the 1970s. He was freed for good behavior after serving two thirds of his 21 year sentence. A lot of people in Norway say that we treat the prisoners too well because they should be punished. But this is the biggest mistake we've been making since the 1600s, taking this line that people are bad. Alnay said, you have to believe people are born good. The one square mile uh, island offers its 115 residents, cross-country skiing, tennis, horseback riding, and all the homosexual sex they can eat. 
Before the inmates can slope off the practice to serve their, or head to the beach for a swim, uh, there's work to do on the farm. We want to become the first ecological prison in the world, Alne said. It's about giving the inmates responsibility and trust and teaching them respect. A lot of people are trying to break in. Right, yeah. <laughs> old, uh, what is it, old tenement catching up to a new jail? A bored Canadian bureaucrat fed up with the office drudgery is seeking $1 million in Canadian, which is only about $860,000 in real money, uh, in donations so that he can quit his job and do something that makes a difference in my life and the life of others. So here's a politician, and he's he wants to do come out. People. He wants to do something for himself primarily and for people if that's at all possible. And he's asking everybody to send him in money so he makes a million dollars and then he can retire. And A politician? Chill. The unnamed man who claims to work for a large civil service organization for over 10 years has set up a website. It's at saveabureaucrat.com. What's that address dot, again? Let me get my pen. Saveabureaucrat.com, on which he explains he's desperate to escape his job. After a while, it starts to... Sap the energy and soul out of you. That's the exact cause I was looking for. And you realize that you've become a true bureaucrat. I feel like an old curmudgeon frustrated by having to deal with paper being passed around at a snail's pace. Damn right. You tell him. Retirement will free up my time for volunteer Definitely. activities like tutoring children. It's all about the children. Time is money, and the more time you have. Counseling people who are going through rough patches in their life. He's apparently a qualified counselor. On a daily basis, I'll be a much more pleasant person to be around. So give me a million dollars. I'll be nicer. Yeah, hopefully he'll come next Despite promising not to spend the donations on Rolls Royces or 10-bedroom houses or airplanes, hmm. the board's civil servant has quite a way to go. So far, he's only collected $59.26. That's Canadian money. So that's not even really on the, on the tote board yet in America. Where do you get an article like that? You know, you have to ask yourself... If a person like this has the chutzpah to get on the fucking internet and write up a story and say, I'm bored with my job. If you just free me from my job by giving me a million dollars, I promise to retire and be a nice guy. Otherwise, you're waiting in that. And this guy gets 56 bucks in the mail. <laughs> you got to tell yourself, man. Right. Imagine if you got on TV with a bow tie and you really put a hard sell on some sack of horse shit. Imagine how many fucking stupid people who otherwise could probably use the money to some good end, like maybe give to their children. Yeah, I've seen televangelists. And that's, you know, uh, apparently their job is to just suck people. You know, I remember there's always this discussion in business when I was in business called the price point. You know what that is? That's the top amount that someone's going to spend? No, 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 that at all, not at all. That's perceived value. The price point is this concept in in retail that the customer really wants to see a low-end, a medium-end, and a high-end version of every item. Right, so they can squeeze their... And if uh, they're the kind of person that buys low-end, they'll, they'll want the cheap one. That's their price point. Right. And if they're a high-end kind of person, so really the product is really all about the perception of the value. So in many cases, higher-end products... Lower-end products are marketed as higher-end products. They're given a higher price tag, a better package, and, that's, and they charge a higher price, and they know they'll sell it because some people want the one that costs more, thinking... They can't do the research. I'll just spend the money and get the better one, whatever the fuck it is. It's got a couple bucks more. It's got to be the better one. 
That's right. You're telling me that that's not the way they do it? I'm saying that that's how they do every fucking thing. No, Everything is price point. So you're saying that uh, the higher value unit is better? No, not at all. It just looks better in the package. Or it's uh, it's got some feature that seems like it's an added benefit that you can put in the copy on the package. It has a you know perceived value of being it's like the uh, vodka. That, yeah, uh, exactly. Has a nicer bottle. Exactly, but the ingredients you know that go into it aren't necessarily superior. The same potato went, or maybe even vodkas. a not as good potato. Maybe that's one of their secrets of success. <laughs> Not to wash the potatoes. Is <laughs> they use shittier potatoes. So sell us the ones off the back of the truck. Yeah, it's like the guy's going from the tap into the uh, bottled water business. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, he's, his costs don't go up. Just a nicer bottle. Of- Just a nicer bottle, baby. If we put a seagull on here... What do they you sell us the president the same way they sell us our clothes and our cars. They sell us... Everything from youth to religion, the same time they sell us our wars. Wars. Our war wares. So, yeah, JD man. On JR. Selling is, a, is an awesome, you know, freaky kind of science. And uh, I got to tell you, man, that, you know, anybody, you know, f- full of enough horse shit could get on TV or the radio and squeeze out the money because there are people waiting to send their money and that's what I mean about price point people are looking to put their money on the one thing so people are out there shopping for TV you brought up TV evangelists some people are turning the dial thinking which one of these is going to get me a sure fire waterbed in heaven waterbed in fucking heaven exactly where do I invest my Jesus dollar what's the best fucking outlet for my where's going to give me the best bang for the buck so to speak can it, uh, imagine the criteria. Well, first of all, I you know I ask myself that all the time, and you know I'm a great student of the televangelist. I watch them. I hesitate to say religiously, um, because it, that's a pun that's beneath even me. But I do, I do watch them a, a great deal. They're I believe some of television's highest form of entertainment. And there's a couple of people who are just stunning. There's one guy who's been at it for years and years, sort of got a very angular face, and he's got white hair now. And he slips into tongues while he's talking. He seems very... What? Is that a Pentecost? I don't know what he is, but he's been on TV for, you know, maybe 20, 25 years. And he'll be talking very friendly and say, and the Lord Jesus said, and suddenly he'll go, gazingla, bagala, hoogala, mangala, hangala, flangala, that's why I got, and I'll just be like, what the fuck? Hit the rewind on that TiVo, man. And he just lapses into tongues. Every pelting him with 20s. And let me tell you something, man. And they all have the same exact scheme going. They want you to call up for the free prayer cloth. Now, what's a prayer cloth? Prayer cloth is what they call in the um, in the in the catalog business a um, premium, which means that you call and get something for free, but they get something much more valuable. They get your address. They get your name and address. And they send you this prayer cloth, which sounds kind of like it's meaningful. When you're praying, you clutch this cloth, and this cloth has been prayed over by a famous prayer guy. And it's got an actual cross on it. It's got a little glow going there. 
And as you cling to the cloth, you get on your knees and you pray. And in exchange, we'll get your free name and address, and we will bombard you right. for the rest of your fucking life. We'll kind of speed your uh, prayer right to the ears of God. <laughs> right, <somehow>. right. <laughs> it's a little express prayer cloth. Kind of cleans the way. Yeah. You know those kids who were screaming and praying, please, God, don't let me crash into the World Trade Center? He was busy listening to the lady with the hammer toes because she had the fucking prayer cloth. She the cloth. Exactly. And um, so they all have this little freebie giveaway. Call up for my booklet on, on why the end is coming in the next hour and 45 minutes. They all they are the talking. Clock they're all saying the that, the yeah, they TV. all have the clock going. It's a really important part of Christianity to say the end is coming. It's really... We have a limited amount of time between when you can get salvated and it's going to be the end of all eternity. And you know what happens as soon as they get to Seven zero? Seven horses of the apocalypse are going to ride through fucking uh, Dayton, Ohio. You know what happens as soon as the clock hits zero? They will, they yeah. rewind the Guy clock. Runs over and rewinds it. <laughs> <laughs> they cut the commercial, come back. Oops. Back at 20 years ago. I just spoke to Jesus. <laughs> yeah, your prayers worked. He gave us another 10. <laughs> but, folks, we have to start working now on that 10. Because <laughs> it's coming faster than you think. Yeah. So, yeah, I do believe that uh, there's this thing about sales and price point, and people are out there looking to give their money, and there are folks out there more than happy to take it from them. It's quite a service. And, you know, the truth is, is, you know, anything, you know, they, they, they say if you're in sales, you're always selling yourself. And it's really so true because you have to seem passionate and that you believe in the crap. And when Ronald Reagan lifted the limit to the television commercial from 30 seconds to fucking infinity back in the uh, early 80s, you know, and the, and the infomercial was born. Reborn. Reborn is correct. Born again. <laughs> um, then it really changed the face of, uh, you know, advertising and hucksterism started all back in again. We went through quite a nice period of government protection. Right. Paul Peel got this huge erection. Right. <laughs> Bought himself a studio. Right. And all these uh, um, production companies sprung up with guys wearing brightly colored sweaters, waving their arms in a frenzy, mostly from Australia in England. A lot of sets with fake sunlight coming through the window. And and fake audiences that were all agog over the fucking <laughs> blender. They couldn't believe that it mashed right through the fucking uh, yeah. carrots as well as it did. I saw an infomercial the other day with um, uh, Jack LaLanne. He's actually still alive. Did you know that? I did know that. The guy is still pulling his tugboat in his teeth with his teeth he's he was like 112 when we were kids he he was the guy who invented the um exercise show when we were kids back in the 50s he would have his exercise show and he had two things on the set do you remember what they were his wife no she was late in later years she came on he married this miss america babe jump rope no he had a chair and not like a nice chair he had a folding chair and he had his german shepherd Ah. who sat there panting in the corner watching him work out. And him, man in chair, and this guy was able to tug uh, the Titanic across the fucking Long Island Sound with his teeth. 
He did this every year in the news. And he was, you know, just this sensation. Very good at calisthenics. And he was, and he wore these funky kind of clinging clothes. Nice black leotard. <laughs> Which was kind of gay, but he was definitely not gay. He looked more like a sailor. He was five feet tall. But, but the ego but, of a six But squirrely. Squirrely as a motherfucker. And I tell you, man, I've been thinking a lot about these old guys from TV. They used to give the airings to people on TV. They would never put on TV anymore. I'm not saying the production standards were low. I'm saying that these guys were characters. They just don't have these characters like Jack LaLanne on TV anymore. No, it's kind of milk toasty. Yeah, it's all very corporate. We, we used to have these local guys introducing the horror movies uh-huh. on Sunday morning. And uh, we used to have these uh, local guys dressed up as cops introducing the cartoons. Right, yeah. You remember that guy? Officer Joe Bolton. Hut to peen and smooth sailing. (laughs) And I'm still figuring the fuck what the (laughs) fuck that meant. Hut to peen. And he introduced uh, what? The Three Stooges? Popeye, was it? Popeye, you're right. Exactly. And then we had all these weird characters. These phony pirates and weird ass. (laughs) People introducing cartoons and shorts and everything. And we just don't have these characters on TV. We used to have a three-hour show in New York every Saturday morning called... Or was it Sunday? I think it was Sunday morning. Sunday morning, I believe you're right, called... Wonderama. Wonderama. Three-hour show. And they just did everything. There was a bunch of kids in the audience and a fucking host who was like more like a kindergarten teacher than anything else running these games and adventures and guests. They had, I remember they had Captain Kirk and Bones on one time. Really? And they asked him questions from the audience, and one kid asked them why they called him Bones. Yeah. And he said because in the old days they used to call doctors Sawbones. Ah, gave him a straight answer. Yeah. And I remember that's what I learned from Wonderama. How do you like that? Mm-hmm. And the host was uh, Sonny Fox. Sonny Fox. And then Sandy Becker and then Bob McAllister. Then what happened? And then I guess it went off the air. That and, was a, uh, So a how many people in the audience can relate to this? Is it just a New York audience that can... I'm sure there was a local version of all this. On every... Uh, I would think. All across Can't the Can't just have been a New York phenomenon, can it? No, I didn't. never hear anyone talking about That's it. That's true. But everybody from New York remembers it. I remember a kid in my... Everybody remembers class. a kid that was in the audience at Wonderama. No, my I had a cousin in the yeah, audience. My story first. This kid was in the eighth grade. He sent away for tickets when he was five. <laughs> they came when he was eight. And he said, came to soccer practice. And he says, hey, I just got my Wonderama tickets. And everyone laughed. And he says, I'm going. And he sat there among the midgets. That's very funny. And no sense of embarrassment other than the, this is the greatest thing that ever happened to him. Uh, it would have been the greatest thing. I hoped and prayed every day to get on Wonderama. It was a great prayer of mine as well. I gave up the dream after a while. Well, I did too. But, you know, it was only a few years ago that I finally occurred to me that I'm probably not going to play shortstop for uh, the New York Yankees. Yeah. And I only say probably. Right. And your penis might have stopped growing. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Yeah, if you measure from the shrink there, by the way, you could keep getting, you could keep going backwards on that. 
<laughs> hey, you've been listening to the Roovings of Acclaim this uh, Friday, March the 24th, the year of our Lord, 2006. Extra special thanks to all those uh, tuning in from around the void, especially those folks in uh, f- uh, that are foreigners. Special thanks to the foreigners. And, <laughs> and you my, know who you are. And you know who you are. And to my friends in Israel, Shalam. It's my special hello to you. And uh, we will meet in that place where darkness never comes. Remember, be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personally. Don't make assumptions. Always, always do your best. You know I love you so, which is why I miss you already. Good night. See you tomorrow.
Unphotographable 